and children can be dismissed to Children's Church. I want to thank Chris for leading us today. Uh, if you happen to step in and you're visiting with us, we typically have live music here. Uh, it happens to be that today our music leader is off uh, with his family. His uh, mother-in-law is actually dying, and uh, he's there to comfort them. So typically on a normal Sunday, we have live music, but that's why we're doing what we're doing today, and we're glad that Chris is willing to help us. Turn to Genesis chapter 2, if you would. Genesis chapter 2, if you're using one of the pew Bibles there, it's page 2. Genesis chapter 2. Genesis chapter 2. We're going to be talking about the Sabbath today and how that relates. Genesis chapter 2, and follow along as I read verses 1 through 3 of Genesis 2. This is God's Word. Thus the heavens and the earth were finished, and all the host of them. And on the seventh day God finished his work that he had done, and he rested on the seventh day from all his work that he had done. So God blessed the seventh day and made it holy, because on it God rested from all his work that he had done in creation. May God give us ears to hear his word. To begin with, I want you to imagine something with me. Imagine God were to come to you in a dream of the night and give you this, this option. You can have one of two things. You can either have more time and less money, or less money and more time. Which would you choose? Maybe don't say anything out loud, but just think, think about that. God will grant this to you miraculously, supernaturally, more time and less money, or less money and more time. Which would you choose? Now, I'd be willing to bet that almost all of us would choose the more time as opposed to the more money. Unless we're in some very unusual situation, say stuck in prison or something like that, most of us understand instinctively that time is infinitely more valuable than money. You think about the person just recently diagnosed with terminal cancer, given four months to live. Would they rather have more time or more money? You think about the child of a workaholic father who's been neglected for years. Which would he rather have with his father, more of his time or more of his cash? You think of a young widow of a man who's just been killed in a car accident. Would she rather have more time with her husband or more of his money? Deep down, we recognize that time is infinitely more valuable than money. But the funny thing is, we don't always live that way. We often live as if money will solve all of our time problems. So, for instance, if we're feeling guilty that we're working too much and not spending enough time with our kids, what do we do? Uh, instead of reworking our schedule and taking time away to hang out with our children, we buy them a video game or something like that, thinking that that will solve their problems. Maybe our marriage is suffering because we're not spending enough time with our spouse. What do we do? We buy our spouse uh, maybe a nice necklace, new pair of golf clubs, again, thinking that that will solve our time problems. Maybe we've neglected to spend time with our elderly parents like we should. We've not visited them, not called them. So what do we do? Instead of making time to spend time with our elderly parents, we send them a gift card to Olive Garden and think that that will make up for our lack of time. We know this, don't we? That time is infinitely more valuable than cash, and yet, for some reason, we don't always live that way. The identical principle holds true in your relationship with the Lord. In your relationship with the Lord, your time is infinitely more important than your money. God is looking for you to spend time with him, time reading his word, time in prayer, time fellowshipping with his people, time sharing his gospel with others. And to think that you can have a healthy relationship with the Lord without devoting a good bit of time uh, to him, you're kidding yourself. 
Our time is infinitely more important to our relationship with the Lord than our money. But again, for some reason, we don't live this way. This is why I have encountered many, many professing Christians who never darken a door of a church, and yet they think they're godly Christians because they give money to Christian charities or because they have Christian art hanging in their homes. Again, I'm afraid they're fooling themselves. Our time is infinitely more important to our relationship with the Lord than our money. But again, if we don't get that, we, can't ha- we simply cannot have the healthy, flourishing, strengthening relationship with God that we could have. Now, all of these principles, they come together when we consider what the Bible has to teach about the Sabbath. The Sabbath. At the end of the day, the Sabbath really is about working when you should work and resting when you should rest to the glory of God. As we're going to see this morning, how we use our time is one of the clearest measurements of our spiritual health that we can think of. And what's more, if you're not, again, willing to devote time to your relationship with God, it will not flourish like it could. Now, as you can see, today's sermon is entitled, God's Good Gifts of Work and Rest, Part 2. If you were with us two weeks ago, two weeks ago we looked carefully at Genesis 2 and noticed the way in which God intelligently designed people, all people, both to work and to rest. This is simply how we have been created, how we have been made. Whoever you are, you have a calling in life, and it's part of your job to discover that calling and then to do that calling for the glory of God. In addition to that, whoever you are, you were designed to rest, to take time off, to be refreshed, and to devote your heart to the Lord. That was our sermon two weeks ago, and if you weren't here, I'd encourage you to get that sermon, either download it or watch the video, because a lot of what we're going to be talking about this morning assumes that material. Well, like I said, that was two weeks ago, and two weeks ago I promised that we're going to look at the entire Bible here and talk about how these ideas come together from the rest of Scripture. Uh, It's interesting how much the Bible has to say on work and rest, and particularly the Sabbath. And Lord willing, this morning these themes are going to come together. And to proceed this morning, I'd like us to consider three questions. Three questions which will hopefully summarize a lot of what the Bible teaches on these principles. First, we're going to talk about why is the Sabbath so controversial? Uh, This is a matter that you probably have gathered not all Christians agree on. And we're talking about good, Jesus-loving, Bible-believing Christians. There's a lot of disagreement here. Why is that? That's question one. Second, we'll talk about what do we know for certain about the Sabbath. Even if we might disagree on some of the particulars and the applications, what can we, as those who believe the Bible is the Word of God, hardly agree on? And then lastly, we'll consider what are some good practical benefits to a weekly Sabbath? Why is it at least a very wise idea, if not a command from God, to set aside one day a week that I carve out, that I'm not devoting to work, but devoting to good rest for the glory of God? Lord, that'll be our third command. And I'd ask you, as we go this morning, be in prayer that God would work as I preach through his word to give us faith. Well, question number one, why is the Sabbath so controversial? What is it about this matter that Christians can't seem to agree on it? Now, again, it's probably not news to you that good Christians have disagreed on the Sabbath for hundreds of years. And again, we're not talking about all professing Christians, but about those who love the Bible, love Jesus, believe the Bible is the word of God. You know, our type of Christians, there's not agreement here. Just to kind of survey us here, raise your hand if you were raised in a home that looked at Sunday as the Christian Sabbath. Anybody in that category? Maybe a third of you. Uh, Raise your hand if you maybe didn't look at Sunday as the Christian Sabbath, but as a day of rest. Raise your hand there. A few of you. Uh, Raise your hand if you were raised thinking that Sunday had nothing to do with the Sabbath at all and that they were totally unrelated. Anybody in that? 
some more of you. Uh, was anybody raised in a Seventh-day Adventist context or a Seventh-day Baptist context? That's probably representative of wider Christianity, the diversity that you saw just now. Now, for my personal experience, I've gone through different stages here. It's kind of humorous. I grew up in a household. We were not Sabbatarians, but we did speak of Sunday as the day of rest. We even called it that, the day of rest. And every Sunday, my mom would cook this great big meal, and then my dad and I would take this nice long nap uh, Sunday afternoon. And honestly, I wish that habit continued in my family. Then I went off to Bible college, and uh, the college I attended, it was from an older tradition. Uh, it was a Sabbatarian tradition. What that meant was on Sunday, not only were we required to go to church, uh, but you couldn't participate in sports on Sunday afternoons. Uh, like, you couldn't even throw a frisbee around. I'm not talking about, like, organized, uh, you know, football. Uh, you couldn't, on a sunny Sunday afternoon, just toss the frisbee around. You know, it was, it was a day of rest. That was college. Well, all of this changed once I became a pastor, because as a pastor, i got to confess, Sunday is anything but a day of rest for a pastor. Uh, Just to kind of give you the summary of today, I woke up this morning at 5.30, I read eight chapters of Job, I went over my sermon, which takes about an hour, uh, got breakfast going, got cleaned up, shaved up, got ready to go here to church, taught Sunday school, obviously leading the worship service. Now, it's also not uncommon on a Sunday afternoon for me to have more ministry, maybe visiting people, sometimes quick deacon meetings, that sort of thing, and ask my family, but Sunday is the most exhausting day of the whole week for me. Uh, so however I wor- work through this whole Sabbath thing, um, as a pastor, it's very, very difficult to make this a day of rest. Now, to illustrate the diversity on this point, let me give you two quotes that come from totally different ends of the spectrum. And again, these are Jesus-loving, Bible-believing Christians just saying about the exact opposite things about the Sabbath. First, authors Tony Payne and Philip Jensen write this, and th- this is probably the majority view today. They say no particular day is specified as the Christian Sabbath in the New Testament. In fact, in the New Covenant, he's talking about the church age, in the New Covenant age, we are free to consider every day alike. We should aim to take a day off each week for the refreshment of our bodies and to acknowledge that there is more to life than work, but there are no laws as to which day it should be and what we should or shouldn't do on it. That's one perspective. And again, that's probably the majority these days. Contrast that with what's called the New Hampshire Baptist Confession of Faith, which comes from 1836. They say this, We believe that the first day of the week is the Lord's Day, or Christian Sabbath, and is to be kept sacred to religious purposes by devout observance of all the means of grace, both private and public, and by preparation for that rest that remaineth for the people of God. If any of you have ever read the Little House on the Prairie books, uh, you'll remember, what did they have to do on Sunday? They, they not only went to church, but all day long they stayed in their church clothes, and they really couldn't do anything Sunday afternoon. They had to sit in these straight-back chairs, just like, kind of looking at one another, not really doing anything at all, because they viewed it as the Sabbath. Now, when it comes to how the Sabbath applies today, there are basically four views. And let me illustrate that with this chart here. Four views uh, on the Sabbath. The first group says that Saturday is the Sabbath forever. So Saturday, not Sunday. Saturday. And this view goes back to Genesis 2, because clearly in Genesis 2, what day does God rest? He rests on Saturday. This is the view, obviously, of Seventh-day Adventists, which you've probably heard of. But also, have you ever heard of Seventh-day Baptists? Uh, I actually looked this up yesterday, but they're a bigger group than I realized. Seventh-day Baptists, which gather for church on Saturday. This is also the view of Messianic Jews. And the idea here is that Christians ought to gather for worship, and abstain from work on Saturday. 
Well, there's another view, and this one holds that Sunday is the Christian Sabbath. Sunday is the Christian Sabbath. And as many of you testified when you raised your hands, this was a view of a lot of you. Because Jesus was raised on Sunday, according to this view, the Sabbath transitioned from Saturday to Sunday. Therefore, on, according to this view, we're to gather for worship, we're to rest from our work on Sunday, not Saturday. This would be the view of almost all the older historic denominations, you know, your Presbyterians, your Methodists, your Baptists. And it was, there were a lot of Baptists of our type who held this view about 200, 100 years ago. Here's a third view. This is the idea the Sabbath is entirely an Old Testament ceremony, and it has nothing to do with today. Uh, sort of like the way in which the Jews were required to abstain from shellfish, so also this view says the Sabbath has nothing to do with us today. We can just you know, kind of do whatever we, we think is wise and best under the circumstances. Uh, this would be the view of many Baptists today, what's called New Covenant theologians, and your most, most of your dispensationalists. One last view. I realize I'm giving you a lot of information, but I'm trying to help you understand why this is controversial. Here's the last view. This view says that the Sabbath contains elements which are eternally applicable and other elements which are ceremonial and passed away in Christ. Uh, there are parts of the Sabbath that are just sort of embedded in creation. And again, I think we see that in Genesis 2. But other parts, the Jewish ceremonies, which were foreshadows of Jesus. And when Jesus comes, those pass away. Now, it, it is sort of a nuanced view, but truth be told, life is like that sometimes. You know, life is not all simple like we like it to be. I'll be honest, this is my current view, though had you asked me 10 years ago, I probably would have said something different. And had you asked me 15 years ago, I would have, asked, I would have said something different still. Now, again, why all this confusion? Why do people that love the Bible, love Jesus, believe the Bible is the word of God? Why can't we see eye to eye here? Well, a few main reasons. First, the Bible does say a lot about the Sabbath. And what it says appears, especially to us sinners, to be confusing. Okay, it says a lot. Maybe just don't do this right now, but sometimes Google Sabbath in the Bible, and you'll see just hundreds of references. It comes up all over the place. And again, in our fallenness, in our finitude, we can find that confusing. It's not confusing to God. God is perfect. God's word is perfect. But we, because of our fallenness, have a hard time making sense of that. Here's another reason why. Uh, there are plenty of passages that indicate that the Sabbath was a sign of Israel's unique relationship with God. There are plenty of passages that show us that the Sabbath was a unique, uh, part of Israel's unique relationship with the Lord. For example, in Exodus 31.16, listen to this. The people of Israel shall keep the Sabbath, observing the Sabbath throughout their generations as a covenant forever. It's a sign forever between me and the people of Israel that in six days the Lord made heaven and earth. Now, depending on how you understand that passage, you could say it's either for today or for not, not for today. Is it something unique to Israel? Again, like the abstain from shellfish, like you can't wear nylon, or is it something eternal? This, this is just how God's created the universe. Depending on how you interpret that, you come to different conclusions. Now, when we come to Jesus' teaching, this, honestly, for some of us, just makes it all the more confusing. Because Jesus seems to really push the envelope with the Pharisees on what's appropriate on the Sabbath. For example, in the passage we read in Matthew 12... Did you notice that both of those miracles were done purposefully on the Sabbath, in part to confront the Pharisees and their man-made traditions? And what's the big conclusion he draws from what he's doing? He says, I, the Son of Man, am the Lord of the Sabbath. Now, even that there, you could take a couple of different ways. One, you could say Jesus is sort of rearranging what's going on on the Sabbath and saying that these Old Testament customs are passing away. 
Or you could take it this way. The Sabbath was made for man, not man for the Sabbath. Meaning, it's not made for the Jews, it's made for all people. So admittedly, this is confusing. And this is why many of us have held different views at different points in our lives. Uh, Again, I was raised with one view, had one view in college, had one view early on in pastoral ministry, and have a different view today. But I still all along have believed that every jot and tittle of the Bible is the word of God. One last reason why this is kind of confusing. The Apostle Paul really seems to be saying that the Sabbath is sort of a shadow in the Old Testament that has passed away. Listen, for example, to Colossians 2.16. Paul writes this. Let no one pass judgment on you in questions of food or drink, or with regard to a festival or a new moon or a Sabbath. These are a shadow of things to come, but the substance belongs to Christ. So again, you know, depending on what Paul means there, you could easily say the Sabbath was this Old Testament ceremony pointing to Jesus, and now that Jesus has come, it fades away. Now, maybe at this point you're thinking, why in the world are we worrying about this so much? I mean, why don't we just put this in that category of stuff we're going to agree to disagree about? You know, we do that with a lot of the finer details of the end times. Why don't we do that here with the Sabbath? Well, we really can't because of the practical implications here. However you decide this, it will affect your life, and it will affect a big portion of your life. At least one day out of every week, you'll either work or not. You'll either go out to eat or not. Uh, And I know that there's diversity of opinion here in this congregation, and that's fine. I mean, if we can rally around the gospel, if we can rally around the Bible, that's fine, at least in my mind. And our disagreements on the Lord's Day, I think, are okay. You know, but again, you're going to do one or the other. You'll either consider taking a job that requires you to work Sunday afternoon, or you won't. You'll either go out to eat on Sunday afternoon, or you won't. You'll mow your lawn on Sunday afternoon, or you won't. Those of you who are students, you'll consider Sunday uh, tolerable for doing your homework, or you won't. You know, you you can't put this in the I'm not going to think about it category, because again, the implications are too significant. Now, since this is debated and controversial, let me give you some specific applications here. And these are ones that I'd encourage you to especially apply here in our congregation. You know, given difference of opinions, different perspectives, how then should we live? Let me give you a few few practical applications. And these are all coming from Romans 14. But first, as far as the Sabbath goes, strive to be fully convinced in your own mind. Strive to be fully convinced in your own mind. Don't leave this in the I'm just not going to worry about it category. You know, again, you can't. You know, one-seventh of your week is kind of a big deal. You know, take any other activity. If I was doing it one-seventh of the week, I I couldn't put that in the I'm just not going to think about it category. So strive to be fully convinced in your own mind. Read books about this. Study what the Bible says about it. Discuss it together with your growth group and your family. But come to some biblical conclusion here. But second, be gracious and humble with those who disagree with you. Be gracious and humble with those who disagree with you. If another brother, if another sister comes to a different conclusion, uh, don't get all judgy on them and shake your finger and think, you know, what in the world are you doing? You know, realize maybe they're right and you're wrong. You know, if, for example, another family in this congregation, which I know to be the case, does not allow their kids to do homework on Sundays, respect that. If, for example, in this congregation, another family thinks it's fine to throw the frisbee around on Sunday afternoon, you know, don't mock them and don't, don't criticize them for that. Yes, be fully convinced in your own mind, but when it comes to these debated matters, show some grace, show some humility. For again, it's possible they're right and you're wrong. 
Third and lastly, live consistent with your convictions. Live consistent with your convictions. You think about it, there's nothing worse than thinking the Bible teaches something and then ignoring it. So study the Bible, figure out what you think it says, and then live consistent with your convictions. If you think it's wrong to go out to eat on Sundays, don't go out to eat on Sundays. If you think it's fine, don't fret too much about it. But live consistent with your convictions. For anything, I think less than that really is sin. Quickly, let's talk about a second question. What can we know for certain about the Sabbath? What can we know for certain? Regardless of all this disagreement, debates, what can we, as those who believe the Bible is the Word of God, rally around? Now, to answer this, turn with me, if you would, to Genesis, or pardon me, Exodus chapter 20. Exodus chapter 20. If you've memorized your Ten Commandments, which I hope you have, you'll remember that Exodus 20 is the Ten Commandment passage. And look at Exodus 20, verse 8. We'll make several comments on this passage. In Exodus 20, verse 8, God says this, Remember the Sabbath day to keep it holy. Six days you shall labor and do all your work, but the seventh day is a Sabbath to the Lord your God. On it you shall not do any work, you or your son or your daughter, your male servant or your female servant or your livestock, or the sojourner who is within your gates. For in six days the Lord made heaven, the earth, the sea, and all that is in them, and rested the seventh day. Therefore, the Lord blessed the Sabbath day and made it holy. Now, quickly, a few things I'd like to point out here. First, look at that word, remember the Sabbath day. Remember the Sabbath day. That word, remember, reminds us that this idea did not begin here. It's actually something they're recalling that's existed for a long, long time. Uh, I remind you that we read about it first in Genesis 2. On the seventh day, God rested. That's what they seem to be remembering. What's more, if you go to some of the early patriarchs, I'm talking about Noah, those guys. They seem to be measuring their weeks in terms of seven units. Now, where did that come from? What's more, in Exodus 16, it's clear the Jews are already observing some sort of Sabbath. So when you put these pieces together, it's pretty clear they're not beginning a new practice, but continuing a practice that's got old, old roots. Remember the seventh day. Now, like we talked about two weeks ago, why did God rest on the seventh day? You know, if you go back to Genesis 2, why did God rest? Was it because he was so tired and needed restoration? Was it because he was worn out? Obviously not. Why then is he resting? He's resting only to give us an example to follow. And that seems to be what's going on here. Remember that pattern. You, just like God worked for six days and rested for one, you work for six days and rest for one. Now, something I alluded to briefly a couple of weeks ago, but I remind you of again, The Sabbath really is just as much about work as it is about rest. You know, the idea of taking a Sabbath only makes sense if the majority of your week is devoted to work. Pastor Ian Campbell writes this. The fourth commandment is not just about the Sabbath day. It has something important to tell us about the other six days of the week, too. Often the fourth commandment is cited as if its total concern was with one day and what we are not allowed to do on that day. But, in fact, its concern is with the weekly cycle of our lives and the way we are to use our time. The Sabbath rest contrasts with all other work. The force of the commandment is to set the work of the six days over against the rest of the seventh. Did you follow all of that? The Sabbath only makes sense if the the majority of your week is devoted to work. I will admit that as a teenager, I wanted to reverse that. I wanted to rest for six days and maybe on a, you know, on 
once in a blue moon, work on the seventh. But realize that's not how God designed life to be. That would not be good. That would not be wise. That would not be loving. God clearly, lovingly, intentionally designed life so that the majority of it is devoted to work with one-seventh of it devoted to rest. Now let's talk about that word Sabbath. The Lord says, remember the Sabbath day to keep it holy. Ever wonder what the word Sabbath means? It actually just means rest. Remember the rest day. It's not a title for a day. You know, like we have Tuesday, we have Thursday, these are titles. That's not what the Sabbath day is. The word Sabbath just means to rest. So you rest on the day of rest. And notice, according to this commandment, who gets this day off? Who is it? Is it just the Hebrews? Is it just those who follow the Jewish customs? Look at verse 10. On it you shall not do any work, you or your son or your daughter, your male servant or your female servant or your livestock or the, or the sojourner, who is, in, who is within your gates? Absolutely everybody gets this day off. Men and women, adults and children, even foreigners, those who are not natural-born Jews get this day off. Slaves, animals, even those passing briefly through Israel as tourists, they too are to get this day off. Now the fact that absolutely everybody is supposed to get a day off, this is significant for a variety of reasons. First, again, this tells us that this is not some unique Jewish custom that only the Jews observed. You know, you contrast that with temple worship. If you were a Gentile in the Old Testament, you were not supposed to go into the temple with a sacrifice. Uh, in fact, you could get yourself killed for doing that. This commandment, however, here is different. Everybody, Jew, non-Jew, man, woman, adult, child, slaves of all sorts, even animals, you all get a day off, suggesting that this is simply how we were made. We were not made to be perpetual motion machines. We were made with this need to rest. You'll also notice the way in which animals are even included here. He says, you shall, do, you shall not do any work, you or your livestock. Now get this. This is the very first law in the history of the world that protects animals. Do you know that? From all that we've gathered from archaeology, ancient records... This is the very first law in the entire history of the world designed to protect animals. And what that reminds us of is that God's love, God's care, God's compassion, it extends not only to humans, but to everything that he has made. One last thing I want you to notice. Notice the reason behind this. Why are they to observe this again? Does it have anything unique to the Jews or to their history? Look at verse 11. Why? For in six days the Lord made heaven and earth, the sea and all that is in them. And rested the seventh, seventh day. Therefore, the Lord blessed the seventh, Sabbath day and made it holy. He doesn't say remember the Sabbath day because of the covenant I made with Abraham. He doesn't say remember the Sabbath day because of the way that I brought you out of Egypt. No, remember the Sabbath day because I created the world this way, further suggesting that this is, again, simply part of the world in which we live. Uh, we can just as easily ignore the law of gravity as we can ignore this Sabbath principle. Well, those are just some of the things that I think we can say for certain about the Sabbath. And again, regardless of our view of the particulars and their applications, I think we can rally around what the Word of God says here. We're almost done, but in the ten minutes or so that we have left, uh, let me give you some practical suggestions here. What are some practical benefits to a weekly Sabbath? What might we anticipate God giving us if we take a day off from work and devote it to rest for the glory of God? Now, before I share these benefits with you, I want to say two quick things. 
First, realize these are not sort of accidental happenstances that just so coincidentally come to pass. No, there's always blessing in doing things God's way. There's always blessing in obedience. Therefore, if we receive these benefits from taking a Sabbath, view those as good gifts from God, not just coincidental happenings. You see? Another thing I want to say here, I'm going to talk primarily about the spiritual benefits of taking a Sabbath. There are all sorts of physical benefits for your health. I mean, you can ask your doctor about this. Uh, Taking a day off a week, it'll lower your blood pressure, lessen stress, give you higher energy, better sleep, lower rates of depression, greater personal happiness, even often greater financial prosperity from time to time. All of those are true, and those all often accompany taking a day off, and yet those are not the ones that I'm going to focus on here. I'm going to focus primarily here on ways that God uses a Sabbath day to mature us and to grow us in holiness. Well, having said that, let me give you a few benefits. First, a weekly day of rest reminds me that I am not God. A weekly day of rest reminds me that I am not God. Now, you'll remember in the Garden of Eden, what was Satan's lure to Adam and Eve? Do this and you'll be like God. Genesis 3, 5. God knows that in the day that you eat of it, your eyes will be open and you will be like God, knowing good and evil. Realize in one sense, that's the essence of sin. Wanting to be God, wanting to replace God, wanting to make myself into my own God. And yet, what happens when I take a day off? When I cease from my work, I'm saying, you know, I'm not God. This universe will continue without me. God's work, not my work, is absolutely essential to the continuing of the universe. What I'm saying is that God is really the only essential worker. It's like Psalm 121.3 says, The Lord will not slumber. Behold, he who keeps Israel will neither slumber nor sleep. The Lord needs no rest. He does not get tired. He never grows weary. We, on the other hand, need rest, need a break. We need a weekly day off. Therefore, again, in one sense, taking a day off for the glory of God, it's a confession of faith. It's a statement, he is God, I am not. He's in charge, I am not. And I am going to rest in him and trust in him. Quickly, another benefit of remembering a Sabbath. A weekly day of rest reminds me that my significance and identity and worth are not rooted in my productivity. My significance, worth, and identity are not rooted in my productivity. Now, this is one of the big lies that our world has embraced. That I am what I do. Uh, you know, we ask people, what's your career? Uh, what's your GPA? Uh, what's your net, in, net worth? You know, that's interesting. It's one of the, you, you Google basically any celebrity's quest, or name, just, to, just take a celebrity, put their name in, and all of a sudden it'll come up, what's their net worth? That's how we value people. If they make a lot of money, they're important. If they don't make a lot of money, not so important. If they got a lot of accomplishments, they're great. If they don't, they're not. Realize Christians can buy into a lot of this when we start putting our hope, our significance in what we've done. It really does, in a way, go back to the old works versus grace thing. Am I, am I what I accomplish, or am I what I am by God's grace? But, but I've encountered lots of Christians who think, you know, I'm really not much of anything. I'm just, you know, a mom raising five kids. Or, you know, I'm really not much of anything. I'm just, you know, a carpenter. Well, can you think of another carpenter in the Bible that did something pretty significant? But, but this kind of thinking, it comes out of this idea that my worth, my dignity, my, my identity is rooted in me and my accomplishments. 
But realize when we take a day off, we're reminding ourselves, no, there's absolutely nothing I can do to change who I am, my worth, my dignity, my significance. That's all rooted in God and his grace, not in what I accomplish. Now, please don't misunderstand me. I'm not saying that we can be lazy. I'm not arguing for mediocrity. That's not what I'm saying at all. But that is not the measurement of your worth. That's not your identity. Who you are, first and foremost, is a human made in the image of God. If you're a Christian, in addition to that, you're redeemed by Jesus' blood. You belong to him. And that is your identity, not what you accomplish. And again, I think we remind ourselves of that every day we take a day off for the glory of God. Here's another benefit of remembering the Sabbath. A weekly day of rest reminds me that relaxation, recreation, and simple fun are not wastes of time, but God's good gifts. A weekly day of rest reminds me that relaxation, recreation, and simple fun are not wastes of time, but good gifts from God to enjoy. Now, Christians, we take the Bible, we take the gospel seriously. We must take it seriously. Please hear me right now that in a relatively brief period of time, everybody in this room will be in either indescribable happiness in heaven or unimaginable suffering in hell. Every last one of us. And our response to Jesus fleshes out our eternal destiny. That is deadly serious. What that does not mean, however, is that we're dour killjoys all the time. It does not mean that we're just these sober, macabre people that just sit around being afraid that somebody somewhere might be having some fun. That's not who we should be. Think of what the Lord says in Psalm 104.14. Oh Lord, you caused the grass to grow for the livestock and plants for man to cultivate, that he might bring forth food from the earth and wine to gladden the heart of man. You give us oil to make his face shine and bread to strengthen man's heart. Now, that psalm says many things, but one of the things that it says is that God loves it when we enjoy his gifts. He loves it when, he, when we enjoy his gifts. We ought to have lives characterized by joy, by gratitude, by enjoying the good things that God has given us. Without ever engaging in, say, drunkenness or immorality, again, I'm not arguing for that, we should be able to relax and enjoy a good birthday party or a 4th of July barbecue, or a good family reunion. Enjoy these good gifts of God to the glory of God. Think about all those Old Testament Jewish festivals where the Jews were to take pretty significant portions of their time and just eat, hang out, and have a good time. I mean, they're all over the place. One time I had a calendar with Jewish festivals in it, and they're all over the place. Like every week or two, they have some festival for something. You think of the life of Jesus. How often was he hanging out with tax collectors and sinners, attending parties, going to meals at people's places, attending weddings? Yes, the gospel is deadly serious. Don't get me wrong, but that does not mean we become these dour, macabre folks that just, you know, have no fun ever. This reminds me of a a man I know I've told you a story before. Man, he had four sons. All these sons grew up to become godly Christians, and all four sons became pastors. Kind of impressive. And they asked this father, what, what did you do? You did something right that all four of your sons, not only did they trust Jesus, but they all became pastors. And he, he was kind of a simple guy, and he said, my, my philosophy of parenting is kind of simple. Two things. Talk about Jesus a lot and have fun a lot. It's really simple as that. Talk about Jesus a lot. Around the dinner table, uh, driving around in the car, when you're sitting on the edge of the bed. Talk about Jesus a lot, read the Bible a lot, but also have a lot of fun. 
You know, play frisbee in the sun. Go to the beach. You know, make sure they understand that Christianity is not this oppressive, restrictive, dour religion, but Jesus is a joyful Savior, and he joyfully saves those who trust in him. I think that's wise counsel, and some of us ought to put it into practice. Let me give you a final benefit of remembering a Sabbath. A day of rest almost inevitably strengthens family ties and friendships. A day of rest almost inevitably strengthens family ties and friendships. Now, why do I say this? Well, you think about it. If we're not working, chances are we're going to be spending time with our loved ones. You know, if you're not glued to your desk chair, if you're not glued to your phone, which, again, we could talk about that for a while. A lot of us need to take a Sabbath from our phone. But if we're not distracted by work, chances are we're going to be spending time with our family, with our friends, with our spouses. Over time, God will use that to strengthen our relationships and bring us closer together. And, and here, I'm not necessarily talking about doing spiritual things. If, if you want to read the Bible and pray together, by all means, you know, do that to the glory of God. Uh, but again, just going to the beach with your kids and walking through the sand, can you see how if you prioritize that over the years, that will almost inevitably make for a healthier family? Listen to what Donald Whitney writes on this. He says, imagine living to age 70 and spending every Lord's Day in the ways I've suggested. You've experienced 10 years of worshiping the Lord with his people, reading great literature, playing with your children or grandchildren, taking walks, enjoying fellowship and taking naps. Does this sound like a burden to you? Most people dream of a life like this. It is the kind of life you can enjoy when you delight in the Lord's Day. Uh, that book, by the way, is where I'd encourage you to begin if all of this is brand new to you. If you've never really thought at all about the Lord's Day and using it for the glory of God, uh, that's the book I'd encourage you to check out. It is in our church library. The chapters are very, very short, uh, as in like two pages. Um, and it's really designed for people that feel just totally stressed out, unable to prioritize my relationship with the Lord. Uh, the book as a whole is great, but it's got three or four chapters on the Lord's Day and the benefits of using it for the glory of God. So if you want to read more about that, uh, maybe check out that book. Well, these then are simply four benefits that I think you can anticipate if you prioritize a Sabbath day. It will remind you that you're not God. It will remind you that your significance, identity, and worth are not in your accomplishments. It will remind you that relaxation, recreation, and simple fun are good gifts from God. And it will inevitably strengthen your family ties and friendships. So those are all great reasons why this week I think you should prioritize a day off. Well, obviously, there's a lot more we could say on this topic. And again, like I said earlier, I'd encourage you to explore this further. Study what the Bible has to say here. Read relevant books. And we've got some of those in our church library. But in closing, here's what I'd say. If you take this idea of rest and trace it throughout the entire Bible, in a way, refreshing rest is like a prophecy. It's a prophecy of what we can expect to enjoy in Jesus and what we begin to enjoy in Jesus the moment we trust in him. I mean, just imagine it. You ever had a really good rest? You know, maybe you've worked for hours digging a ditch or something like that, and then you just get to kick back in a chair with a glass of lemonade, feeling the cool breeze on your sun, is, or on your face. Isn't that refreshing? Anybody like that? Now, how would you like something like that for your soul? In Matthew eleven twenty eight, Jesus said this, Come to me, all who labor and are heavy laden, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me, for I am gentle and lowly in heart, and you will find rest for your souls. 
For my yoke is easy and my burden is light. I know that many of you today are feeling spiritually exhausted. Many of you today are feeling like you're just stuck in spiritual toil, labor, going nowhere. You're trying to find your significance here in your accomplishments. It's not working. You're trying to find your worth here in what you do from 9 to 5. It's not working. You're trying to please God this way, please God that way. You're living in constant fear, constant insecurity. Am I right with God or not? Do I know God or not? Am I worth anything or not? You feel like you're just stuck on this everlasting treadmill going nowhere, and the only hope of ever getting off is death. That describing anybody? I know a lot of people are in that category. To such people, this is what Jesus is saying. Come to me, all who labor and are heavy laden, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me, for I am gentle and lowly in heart, and you will find rest for your souls. For my yoke is easy and my burden is light. Again, you remember that refreshing rest you had sitting in a chair, drinking lemonade after a long day of work? Do you desire that for your soul? Come to Jesus now. Come to him now. Take his yoke upon your shoulders. Learn from him. Follow him. And you will begin experiencing rest for your soul right now. Uh, no longer do you need to think that your significance is in your accomplishments. No longer do you need to think your worth is in your works. Come to Jesus now and experience that refreshing of soul that you're longing for, that you were made for. That's Jesus promised to you this morning, so come to him. As always, if any of you would like to discuss any of this further, need clarification on something that I've said, would like somebody to pray with you or pray for you, Please talk to me after the service. I'll be under the overhang to greet people on the way out. But come to Jesus today and finally begin experiencing rest for your soul. Let's close in prayer. Almighty God in heaven, thank you for how good, kind, gracious, merciful you are. Thank you, Lord, for the gift of rest that you give us in this life. Help us to take advantage of that, to prioritize that. Thank you for the rest that you give us in Jesus. Uh, refreshment, freedom, freedom from toil, freedom from working for our salvation, freedom from finding our worth in our works. Lord, please work in all of us, see, either for the first time or for the thousandth time to come to Jesus for rest. It's in his name we pray. Amen.